As we continue to look at our sanctification, now remember, positionally, we're already sanctified, right? God sees us as righteous as his son, Jesus Christ. Someday, we're going to have a perfected sanctification. When the rapture happens, we will be, indeed, have gotten finally rid of this mortal body and this sin nature. But in the meantime, we have our progressive sanctification in which we, day by day, need to work at becoming more Christ-like. So let's turn to Philippians chapter 4, please, in our Bibles tonight. Philippians chapter 4, and as we have seen now over the last several weeks, we are to be fully sanctified in our spirit, soul, and body. We talked about part of the process of the being sanctified in our soul is the renewing of our mind. In Ephesians chapter 4, you don't have to turn there, but it says that you put off concerning the former conversation or the old manner of life, the old man which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And as I mentioned, too often we try to do step one and step two. We put off the old, put on the new, but we forget that very important part in the middle, the renewing of our mind. Changing the way we think. Again, remember in Romans 12, 2, we're told, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Making your mind new. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, Christian, God doesn't want us to just have victory over sin. He wants our attitude towards sin to change. It's not just the fact of, I'm not going to drink and smoke and, and all those things anymore. But he wants me to change the way I think about those things. Now, I understand that certain chemicals, certain drugs and whatnot can mess with your mind. You have, we call it, an addiction to it. And I understand addictions are very... Uh, controlling. But I know the Holy Spirit is greater and can give victory. And so God can change the way you think about the old sinful practices. He can give complete victory over them. So when we get to Philippians 4.8, we have a list of things of which we are to think upon. And why do you think Paul gives us this list of things which we're to think upon? Well, because it's not what we naturally do. As a matter of fact, we could take the opposite of every one of these, and that is what the natural man will immediately look upon or think upon. What Sunday afternoon, I was told was going to be on the news broadcast, and I thought it was going to be WITN, which I can get at home on streaming, but it was WCTI or one of the others, which I can't get. And I got very limited access to TV, and I like it that way, right? So I was watching the news at 11 o'clock thinking, okay, we're going to watch and see if we're on there. And it was all about gun violence and about this person shot this person, and this bad thing happened over here, and this bad thing happened here. And I'm like, you know, this is why I hate the news. If you were to put on the news good, uh, good story wholesome things, and all kinds of praise, people actually would not watch the news. It would be boring to the natural man. But Christian, 
Let's look at these words in Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, so Paul's writing to us as Christians, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. So this list should be a filter for our thoughts. 2 Corinthians 10.5 states, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now I want you to think about that. Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So when we have a thought cross our mind, we need to grab hold of it and filter it against this list. Is it true? Is it honest? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it of good report? Go through this whole list, and if it doesn't check off, then dismiss the thought. If it checks off, then it's a thought you can dwell on. Does that make sense? It sounds oversimplistic, I know. Simplistic. But, and the process truly is simple. You know what's hard? Sometimes, if we're trying to do it in the flesh, the application of it will be hard. This is why it's important we yield ourselves to the Spirit of God and allow Him to have control because then He can help us with it. Because you ever try to dismiss a thought, now the only thing you can think about is the one thing you're trying not to think about. We need to make sure Christ is pleased with every thought. So we're going to look at these eight things from Philippians 4.8. If this is what we're to think on, then let's look at each of these and define them and understand then what are we to think on. So, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, we need the truth, and we need to think on the truth, and we need to show the truth to others. The Word of God is truth. John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. You know what Alex needed Sunday when, when I was standing there talking to her? She needed the truth. Now, folks, I wanted to share a whole lot more with her, but understand, as I've been trying to teach and try to follow myself, you've got to meet them where they are. This girl's all confused, all messed up. I can start talking about salvation in Christ, and I can start talking about all the glories of heaven, but that's not, she's not, those are wonderful truths, and she needs to hear those truths, but what she needs to first of all understand is there is truly a God. He does exist. He has spoken. He has given his word. And, and that's where she's at in her life is those very foundational things that sometimes we take for granted, but that's where she's at. So by asking her the questions that I was trying to ask her and getting her to understand and think about the fact that what if there truly is a God out there? Now she's going to seek more truth. Okay, if there really is a God out there, then what that guy said is right, then I am accountable to him. You see, then she's going to seek more. And that's what we've got to do is meet them where they are and teach them. It's interesting. Our brother said that uh, one of the ones he's witnessing to is a Satanist. Okay? Now, he said he also was very open and, and understood a lot of what he was saying. However, he's got to understand Satan is not God. Right? Satan's a fallen angel. He's our enemy. And so he's got to help take him from where he is to where he needs to be. And sometimes that journey is more than a five-minute conversation. But what they need is the truth. Because what do we know of God? 
Well, we know of God from creation because he's revealed himself. But creation doesn't tell us everything about a God, because if we only had creation to look at, we would have a very skewed view of God, would we not? Because we live in a sin-cursed earth, and sin has made this world not the way God intended it to be, right? Not even the way he actually created it in the beginning. And so if we were to view just that part of God, we would not understand God. It's only through his word we can truly understand who he is, understand his love, understand his mercy, understand his forgiveness, understand our need for salvation. Does not even the scriptures tell us? How would we know that we're sinners if it wasn't for the word of God? How would I know I need to be saved if it wasn't for the Bible showing me that? So we're sanctified also, Christian, then through learning and applying and obeying the Word of God. So thinking on things that are true means to be honest also in all your dealings. Now that makes sense, right? Be truthful in all your dealings. Don't be one of these that, you know, I've heard people say comments like this. I lied to them for their own benefit. You did what? I've heard all kinds of crazy excuses and all kinds of crazy things people have said. Christian, you and I are to live lives that are honest. Ephesians 4.15, but speaking the truth in love that we uh, may grow up in him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Speak the truth, but speak it lovingly. I told you not all the meetings went so well today. There was one meeting where um, the legislator and one of the people in the group uh, we're speaking truth, both of them, but there was zero love between it. It got very heated to the point that I felt I had to step in and kind of mediate a little bit and said, hey, how about we handle this like gentlemen? We need to speak things that are true, but we need to think also on things that are honest. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest. You say, well, isn't that kind of like truth? Well, our te- definition today, but I, when I looked up honest, it says venerable, worthy of honor, dignified, not honest as we think of today, but things that are worthy of honor. Now that's interesting because we are to uh, show honor to one another. You know, we need to see the value of others, but we tend to still sometimes, even as Christians, compare ourselves with others thinking I'm better than they, but we need to see ourselves as they are better than I am. I'll tell you, folks, sometimes I look out at the crowd here and I'm like, Lord, why did you call me to be their pastor? They're so much better. There's things you guys do that really are encouraging that I see in your lives. Um, but we need to have that honor for one another. Look for those who deserve honor. Romans 13, 7 does not tell us. Render to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. But we need to honor our troops. We need to honor our police. We need to honor government officials, not because of their character, but because of the office they hold. I don't agree with the policies of the President of the United States. If I were to meet him, I would still try my best to give him the honor due the office that he holds. Correct? So then, what about some of the things people do and say and post about the president and other government officials? Is that really where we need to be thinking, Christian? 
look, I don't agree with their policies. I don't agree with half of them. And, and some of the things they do are completely, to us, seem very idiotic. I will admit it. But then, are they not lost people acting like lost people? So what's more important? Their eternal soul or poking fun at them? And our nation has set up several holidays, Veterans Day, Memorial Day, Mother's Day, Father's Day, all to honor those that deserve honor. There is appropriate time and place to give honor where honor is due. And Christian, you and I need to be the ones leading that and not the ones following, but, but showing honor to others, especially those who deserve honor. But most importantly, Christ deserves honor in our lives, does he not? Revelation 5.12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. So this makes me think of two passages also. Proverbs 26. As a madman, Proverbs 26.18, As a madman who casteth firebrands, arrows, and death, so is a man that deceiveth his neighbor and saith, Am not I in sport? Flip over to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. The Word of God tells us, But fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh the saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. What are these verses teaching us? Now, it's not saying, Christian, you can't have fun, you can't joke around, but you and I need to be careful of the types of jokes that we do or say or play on one another. Proverbs 26, 19 especially, The man deceiveth his neighbor, saith, Am I not in sport? You know, I apply this to many. How many have ever seen a practical joke go wrong? You know, I take this verse to say, there are certain practical jokes, certain jokes we should not be doing, certain jesting we should not be doing among ourselves. Do you agree with that? And when we do, what are we typically trying to do? Humiliate the other guy, right? Now, I'm going to talk to these two Marines over here for just a minute. As a Navy corpsman, there is never a bigger group of jokesters than this, this crowd. Marines will do anything. I mean... Literally, bubble wrap a guy, stick him on the crane, run him up to the top of the hangar and let him stand there. I mean, does the Air Force do that type stuff? Okay. So anyhow, we're talking to the Marines. Uh, <laughs> Navy was somewhere in between. Okay, we played jokes, but we, well, honestly, guys got killed with that too. But you know, you guys ever do, don't go doing that one, by the way. Don't bubble wrap a guy and hang him from the top of the crane. It's not a good idea, because if he falls off, he's dead, okay? But you guys know exactly what I'm talking about, right? How many of those jokes have you seen get out of hand? More than once. I'll tell you, I'll tell you one. There was a guy I knew who, I forget why, but there was some aircraft out still flying, and they were bored, so they duct taped a guy to the chair, and then they realized one of the aircraft that was out was the CEO of the squadron, and he had not come in yet. And then so they're trying to get him out of the chair, and guess who lands and who's taxiing in, and now approaching the hangar. So they still couldn't get him out of the chair, so they shove him in the closet. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, yeah, these jokes can get out of hand, okay? The point being this, it usually humiliates the one we're playing the joke on, doesn't it? Is that showing honor? 
No. So while we can have a good time, and we can laugh, and we can joke around, make sure it's appropriate, and it's not demeaning to others. Just to the Air Force. Not to you, Ed. Don't take it personal. It's just the Air Force, okay? As I was looking at you as I said that, I'm like, wait a minute. Every time I pick on him, it's demeaning. <laughs> Let's continue on. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, as the idea being right. The, word has, the world has a misconception of right and wrong. If you haven't figured that out, you haven't been awake. As I mentioned recently, now the abortionists want to go beyond after the baby is born to give mama opportunity to figure out if she wants to keep it for a few weeks or not. That's murder, folks. Well, it's murder from the time the baby's conceived, but, I mean, that's blatant murder. Isaiah says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that call bitter sweet and sweet bitter. I remember one time hearing a politician refer to Fidel Castro as a great leader. What? Probably not the words I would choose in describing Fidel Castro. But when we do not do that which is right, it only promotes sin. You do realize... Christian, yes, we are here to share the gospel, right? But we are also here to hold back the evil. The Holy Spirit through us is holding back the evil. Ecclesiastes 8.11, Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the hearts of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. I'll tell you what, if we would go back to, you committed a crime, and you're convicted of the crime speedily, and then the sentence for that crime is, is carried out speedily, we probably would see a, no, I, not probably, because God said so, we would see a decline in crime. Okay, let's suppose we were to go back to the days of hanging. If you were to go by the courthouse in New Bern and see a body or two hanging on the end of a rope, do you think that might deter crime a little bit? I know some say, wow, that's really cruel and unusual. No, it's, it's taking and speedily carrying out the sentence. But again, remember, as we have the right thoughts, then we'll have the right actions. It's not right actions first, it's right thoughts first. But we justify wrong thinking where everybody else is doing it. Well, my mom always used to ask, if everybody else is going to jump off the bridge, would you? And if I was really sarcastic, I'd say yes. But that usually did not end well for me. It's no big deal. Well, you don't understand. We have, to, we have to do this because it's going to turn out good in the long run. Doesn't the end justify the means after all? Then Paul commands us, whatsoever things are pure, holy, chaste. We need to avoid the filth of the internet, of advertisements, of television, all the filth that the world is trying to promote in every way, shape, and form. Job said, I have made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I look upon a maid? It is amazing to me talking to young people, talking to Alex. She goes, so, because, okay, so when uh, she was talking, when Mike was still talking to her, she asked something about, well, what happens when a girl gets pregnant and she doesn't want it? And Mike said, the choice has already been made. And she goes, so you're saying we just shouldn't have sex? And Mike is like, that's exactly what we're saying. And she looked at him like he just fell off another planet. Because 
the understanding of young people today, they do not even think about purity till marriage. It's not even in their thoughts whatsoever. As a matter of fact, most people, most young people now, if you are in your 20s and still a virgin, you're odd. You're weird. You see, we have flip-flopped so much. And we wonder why young people struggle so hard with purity. I'll tell you what, it was bad growing up in the 80s, but I could not imagine growing up in today's society. It's a lot worse than what we had it. But we still need to teach the truth of God's word, that you wait for marriage. And I've never met anybody who waited for marriage and said, boy, I regret that. I wish I had done some shopping around. But I've met a lot of the reverse. But pure in our thoughts, pure in our actions, married men, that means having eyes only for your wife. Amen? And then Paul continues, whatsoever things are lovely, pleasing, agreeable. Song of Solomon 5.16 says, Yea, he is altogether lovely. He is my beloved. This is my friend. O daughters of Jerusalem, Jesus Christ is lovely. Is he not? Should our mind not be dwelling on him? Things that are sweet. The word of God is sweet. Ezekiel 3, 3 said unto me, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat and fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. Then I did eat and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. Do you find the word of God sweet, lovely? Can you wait to get out of bed to be able to spend some time with God, communing with him in prayer and in his word? Whatsoever things are of good report. Bad news travels faster than good news. And bad news travels amazingly, not only fast, but amazingly how, oh, you're, you can tell me, it's okay. You know, people say that, and then the next thing you know, everybody knows what you just said. Well, maybe you shouldn't have said it. If, you know, if you got a problem with somebody, take it to them, right? Take it to them one-on-one. But the world focuses, I already said, on the worst things. Find things that are praiseworthy and focus on those things. I have a preacher friend who determined at least once a day he would think of something somebody did for him and he'd write a thank you card. To my knowledge, he still does it to this day. I tried starting it, and it wasn't that I couldn't think of anything to be thankful for. It's just I forgot. But it forced him to think of praise of others. He had to find a good report so he could write the card. He had to think of something. What did somebody do today that I can write a thank you card for? Something praiseworthy. Something commendable. In Philippians 2.3, Paul says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Then he adds, If there be any virtue or moral excellence... Virtue is to be added to our faith, 2 Peter 1, 5. Besides all this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. One who is virtuous has qualities that are to be sought after. Proverbs 31, 10. Who can find a virtuous woman? Her, her price is far above rubies. You see, you and I need to be men and women of character. We need to have moral excellence in our character. Now, does it mean we're perfect? No. But even in, in the times we mess up, we need to be able to go back to somebody and ask for forgiveness and make it right. But there needs to be a moral excellence in our character. 
that when people look at us, if they were to evaluate our lives, they say there is one that has integrity, there is one that has virtue, there is one that, that just has an excellence in their character. Are not these traits expected of those in ministry? Then should they not be something that every one of us as a Christian strive for? You see, moral excellence, virtue, is something that is greatly lacking in our society as a whole today. And it's interesting, and you've heard me say this before, our forefathers understood when they said that our constitution is for a moral religious people, it's not fit to govern any other. You know, when we were up there today, we were talking about several bills, one that actually passed today, I think, uh, one of the marijuana bills. But they're working on trying to get medical marijuana legalized. They're working on getting um, sports gambling. And they're working on all these other things. You and I look at them and say, wait a minute, where's this coming from? This sounds like a very liberal agenda. But it's so-called conservatives pushing this. And the reason being, folks, is because when we're looking at candidates, we're not finding people of moral excellence. We need more Christians to stand up and say, you know what, I'll fill the position. And then Paul ends with, if there be any praise, we ought to be a grateful people and one who looks for ways to praise others. Who does not like to get a compliment? How many times has somebody said something as simple as, uh, appreciate your smile or something like that, and it just makes your day? So let me ask a question. Why aren't we doing that for others? You see, again, I'll use Alex as an illustration. When we were talking to her Sunday, before we really got in deep into the conversation, we stopped and thanked her again for coming up to us and being willing to talk and have this conversation. You know why? Because you thank somebody, you start to build a rapport with them, you start to put them at ease, you let them know, I care about you. And honestly, I think if we had not taken the time to slow down and thank her for coming over, I don't think she would have been as receptive because you kind of put up those barriers, you know, and we need to learn to help break those down and put people at ease. Our Lord deserves our praise. He deserves our praise whether we're here at church, whether we're at home, whether we be at work, whether we're out doing whatever. Let's not be ashamed to mention his name and say, well, praise the Lord for that. That's wonderful. Somebody share something great happened in their life? Well, let's thank the Lord for that. Praise God for that. They could look at you cross-eyed all day, but God still deserves the praise for it, does he not? So as we work on renewing our mind, then we need to take this list that God has given us very clearly here in Philippians 4.8, and use this as a filter, taking every thought into captivity and going through this list with each of our thoughts. Folks, when we start applying this, I promise you it's going to change the way we think about other things as well. And we're not going to be so quick to look at the negative side of things. Something just happened right before service, and I, I hope he doesn't mind me sharing it. But... This is an illustration of how quick we can go back to allowing something to happen in the past affect the way we look at something today and not trying to look at things lovely, pure, good report, honest, true, okay, all these things. Ed walked up to me 
And he says, I have something for you. It's gold and it's small. And he pulls out the church key. And you know what the initial thought in my mind was? Because this is the way somebody left here before, walked up to me and just handed me the key and walked out. And I thought, oh my goodness, Ed's walking out the door. But we needed her to play piano tonight. So (laughs) we would have had to hold on to her. It wasn't his key. It was Anthony's key. He'd forgotten to give it to me, and he gave it to Ed to give to me. But that quick, my mind made a wrong judgment, a wrong call, didn't think on things that are lovely, didn't give him the benefit of the doubt. I had no reason to believe this of him. And I'm sharing this with you because, folks, that's how quick it can happen in our minds. Now, folks, we got to admit it in our own lives and see that we do the same thing, don't we? Because you know what should have happened? Ed's never given me a reason to believe that that would be the case. I should have said, whose key is that? Not, re- not thinking it would be his key. You see what I'm saying? That would be thinking on things that are honest and lovely and good report. But just that quick, my mind went the wrong direction. My point being this, folks, every thought that comes across our mind, we've got to stop and think. And allow God to constantly have control. Because let me tell you something. That flesh wants to take control just like that. Now that may seem like a minor example. But the problem is, it was a relatively small thing this time. But sometimes it's not. You know what I'm saying? And we need to be careful every thought that comes across our mind. So next time, what would be better? Because, again, looking at the character of Ed is a... Ed's never given me a reason to think he's upset at me, that he's about ready to walk out the door. So, did you copy a key? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And so, all these principles, we need to stop and think. But you need to dwell on these things. This is why, Christian, it's important every day of our lives... We are dwelling on the Word of God. We are meditating on the things of God. We're walking with Him. We're in constant communion with Him. We're submitting to the Holy Spirit of God to control our lives. Because until the day He comes to take us home, we still have this wicked old flesh hanging on to us. And my process of becoming more Christ-like is a never-ending process until He comes to take me home. And I will battle the flesh until the day I die. But let me tell you something. It's a fight worth having because while I still make mistakes, I praise God I'm not what I once was. And I hope you can say the same thing. He's still working on me. How about that kid's song, right? To make me what I ought to be. It only took him a week to make the sun and stars and Jupiter and Mars, and I don't remember all of it. But he's still working on me. So be patient. And let's learn to be patient with one another. Let's learn to build each other up and encourage each other in the Lord and to help each other to think on these things. And so when somebody says something or does something, let's look at that and say, you know what? I have no reason to believe otherwise, but they mean good until proven otherwise. Now I'm talking with brothers and sisters in Christ, okay? And I think there is a properness to the world to be skeptical because they are not walking with God. Okay, it doesn't mean we treat them like second-class citizens, but what people tell you, 
in the world, you better verify it, right? But when it's a brother or sister in Christ, why aren't we giving them the benefit of the doubt? Do you follow what I'm saying? We should, shouldn't we? So let's think on these things.